Hi, my name is Sarah, and I'm Anxious AF. Welcome back to the podcast. In this episode, I check in with my old college friend, Brittany. She's a first grade teacher at a New York City charter school. We chat about teaching over Zoom, how emotional eating has manifested itself, the shifts in relationships during COVID, and how to look on the bright side with everything going on. We recorded this conversation one day before the U.S. presidential election of 2020. So we also talk about our predictions for the country. Now that the results have been announced, I'm pleasantly surprised, but also more hopeful. But I know there's still plenty of work to be done. I really enjoyed this conversation with Brittany, and I hope you do too. I'm just wondering, just let's just start going. What's getting you crazy these days? I feel like, well, the forefront of my mind that's getting me crazy, it's a few different things, but I feel like forefront is definitely work. Uh, just because, especially for people in the teaching profession, things are just so topsy-turvy right now. But I work in a charter school, so charter schools at this point in time, it could either be a blessing or a curse because they could basically make up a lot of their own rules. So it could either be more um, restrictive or it could be not restrictive at all. So I know charter school and private school teachers who are fully remote, like I am. I know charter and private school teachers who are five days a week face-to-face with all their kids. So. It really just depends. Yeah, for me, work is number one. I've also, <laughs> like my, like many other people during quarantine, I've been in the process of looking for a puppy to adopt, which has been a daunting process. It's been about four months. That still is up in the air just because of a lot of constraints with COVID. So what grade do you teach and what spawned the purchase of a puppy? So I teach first grade, which is very interesting online, but the kids have been super resilient. And I always say that, you know, seeing them is the best part of my day, but with remote learning, it's been a lot less of seeing the kids, unfortunately, and a lot more of just like behind the scenes bureaucracy kind of stuff. A lot of paperwork, a lot of just like, you know, busy type stuff. The thing with the dog, I feel like now is kind of like the time to do it. So I'm 32 and, you know, I have this time on my hands now. It's sort of like a unique situation where I am home a lot. I've always been some someone where um, my family growing up, I was never allowed to have a dog for X, Y, or Z reason that my, you know, my parents said to me, um, for whatever reason that might be. So I'm 32 now and it's been like a lifelong dream for me to have a dog. So I just thought there's no time like the present. And if I didn't do it now, I might never do it. <laughs> People keep saying that a lot now of like, uh, I'm going to get a pet cause I'm by myself all the time and I can barely take care of myself. I've been thinking about it a lot, but I'm like, I don't know. I'm, I don't even, I can't even take care of a plant. but I applaud anybody that's doing it because it's, it is lonely out here, especially if you live alone. Absolutely. And that's sort of something I've been thinking a lot of during, about during quarantine. So I do live alone with my cat and my plants, which is something I've, plants have definitely been something I've been trying to take on as quarantine has continued just out of sheer, like, okay, I'm very lonely. A lot of the time I need to sort of throw myself into something new and fresh, something for me. Um, Because uh, these days I feel like there's not a whole lot of anything that's just solely for me. So that was kind of where planting came in and, you know, I've had my cat. So those things are definitely for me. And I just realized, you know, with the dog situation that that would be just kind of another thing for me. I definitely, I'm a little fearful with like what you said. It's hard for me to like take care of myself most days, but I've also always been the type of person where it's easier for me to take care of other people or like living beings than it's ever been for me to take care of myself. Right, because you can focus more because you're home by yourself, or what do you think the reason for that is? In truth, I really feel like, I mean, things that have called me to professions where 
either it's like a public service or teaching or whatever that might look like. It's always because my, I always say that my passion is to help people and like make people happy and smile. But I feel like underneath all of that, I've come to find that yes, my passion is like serving others. I've like always kind of had a problem serving myself and doing what's right by me. I relate to that so much. I'm always trying to see what I can do for other people, but not really checking in with myself and what I want. Mm -hmm, Absolutely. I feel like it's been, I I feel like with quarantine, I've been a little bit more like focused. I don't want to say like focused as in like actively seeking out my own like mental health well-being, but I feel like it has forced a lot of us to be a little bit more cognizant of exactly where our mental health is and just do like more check-ins with ourselves. But that doesn't mean it's any easier for me to actually carry out. No, it's it's definitely not easy. And it's like, I, you know, been going to therapy and, and my therapist is always saying, like, think about what you want and think about like what you're looking for and what you want with your own life. I'm like, but I don't know what that is. How am I going to find it? Like right now, I just feel like I'm like, I've never focused this much on myself before. I've never been by myself this much before. Exactly. Totally. And I'm the same. So speaking first on um, like never being alone this much. I very much grew up in a family. I grew up on Long Island, a very loud Jewish family. And everything from the moment I was born up until I want to say very, very recently, I never had to worry about being alone or just like being comfortable being by myself or being my own company. Because I was talking to my therapist about this because I also go to therapy. And I realized that the reason that I have such a hard time, like kind of taking care of myself or being alone, even with my own company, is because I've never ever had to and it's not ever something that like my family really instilled in me everything was about like family like getting the shirt off your back and those are really important qualities but I also feel like for me since that was such like an important part of growing up is just like constantly giving yourself to others for the betterment of others and that kind of makes you a good person there was no emphasis placed on taking care of yourself and that makes you a good person so for me that looks like you know for the first 21 years of my life, I was either living at home with my, my family or I was an officer at school. Then it looks like I um, I traveled the country for a few years with AmeriCorps, so I was never alone. I was completely unalone for two straight years, um, and I loved it. I loved never being alone. And then, you know, I had roommates or I always had roommates or I was in a relationship or something like that. And this is truly, I want to say, probably for the last three months since I've become newly single. This is really the first time I've ever been forced to just be alone and like be okay with it. But when you're never given those tools, in fact, you're given the tools for the complete opposite. It's like, what do you even do with that? People ask me, all, my therapist asks me all the time, like, you need to think of something that's just for you. What's something that you, what are your interests? And I'm like, what are my interests? Like my interest is being around other people. Like, what do you mean? What are my interests? You know? I had the opposite experience. Like I am born and raised an only child. And my family sort of was always in their own thing. And I was always alone, but I was always trying to stop myself from being alone. So Mm -hmm. I was always trying to like escape that loneliness. So I would always try to like find other people to talk to or uh, just watch TV to like drown out whatever I was feeling or eating, just always like going to food. And I know that we've had conversations in the past about food. And when we spoke like a few months ago, like some food was sort of triggering, especially being home as much and what's the whole process been like for you and have you been going to food for comfort or for boredom or, or those kind of things now? You should mention that because about an hour and a half before we got on this conversation, I finished up some Taco Bell. So I think that's the quick answer to that. Have fun in the bathroom. Oh, that might've already happened. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But yeah, so I think like long story short, I have absolutely been turning to food and I feel like 
it's always been a bit difficult for me to sort of take part in the things that are healthy for you, like exercising and just like, you know, being mindful, meditating, things like that. It's like those things in your mind that you know you should be doing, but it's very hard to find that motivation to do it. Instead, you like kind of turn to the things that make you feel comfortable and that it's easy for you to feel comfortable. So for me, it's like, well, which one's easier? Going to the gym, doing yoga, being mindful, or like going to Taco Bell, you know? If you feel that craving and that's what's guiding you, it's obviously going to be the easiest thing. Like it's going to be like, you know, what will help me or will help me forget about what I'm feeling right now is just drowning in the food. Yeah. And it's sort of hard to distinguish because when you think about working out, when you think about, you know, deep breathing exercises, those are all things in the moment that help you escape that moment. You know, like that's things for me. That's kind of like a push for me. That's not something that comes naturally to me. What is something that could be natural to me, but also help me escape in that moment? Well, it's getting in my car, driving to a fast food place or really anywhere. And, you know, just focusing in on that for the same amount of time it would take me to, you know, meditate or deep breathe or do yoga or whatever that is. It feels more natural for me to do that. But of course, like at the end of it, it's like you kick yourself because like you said, it's like trip to the bathroom or like it's self-pity or, you know, you feel ramifications from it over time, such as like my skin has been out of control, like my acne. I also have psoriasis, which is greatly, um, which is greatly affected by um, stress. And just like poor food choices. So right now, both of those things are sort of out of control. And, you know, those feelings of self-loathing come in too. It's just like, why did I do that again? You know, I told myself that I'm going to stop doing that. But, you know, it's like in the long run, it's like, why don't I have more willpower? Things along those lines. And then you're just beating yourself up. You're either beating yourself up for the punishment of like not eating the right thing or beating yourself up for eating too much of something. Or it's like you're putting yourself, it's like you're in a constant lose-lose cycle and you don't know how to get out. Absolutely. And I feel like that kind of directly relates to what we were just talking about, how, you know, when people ask us what our interests are, it's like, well, I have no idea because I just like any free time that I ever have in my own head, like it's drowned out with like not such good habits such as like eating. You know what I mean? I'm in a support group now for uh, emotional eating, which Mm -hmm. is an interesting experience. But one of the things we learned about is called urge surfing. And so when you are feeling the urge to to eat something, to go to food for comfort or to just like to binge eat or whatever, basically just start asking yourself questions and like sit in the moment, surf the wave, essentially yeah. is the metaphor. It has been somewhat helpful, but a lot of times I do feel like I'm going, oh, fuck it. I don't want to do this anymore. Bring me to the sweets. You know what I mean? Right. It's like, it's not natural for you, but eating is natural. You know what I mean? Like for, I feel like for both of us, like these are habits that we formed over a lifetime. You know what I mean? So like trying to change those habits now is to me, it's very hard. And it's honestly, it's like too much work for me. It's like, I would rather just not and like turn to what I'm comfortable with and that, that, you know, I'm now in a phase I've never been in before where I'm like fully, oh no, I don't want to eat that which I've never been there before. Like I've never been in a place where I'm like, I'm not going to turn to something sweet like ice cream or cookies or whatever. And I'm like, what is happening? I'm like, is COVID transforming me? What's going on? I know a lot of it comes from this defeat of just feeling like I'm never going to be satisfied in my body. I'm kind of going through this thing where I'm like, why do people like me that message me on the dating apps? Do they know what I look like or are they only attracted to me because of what I look like? Like, are they fetishizing me or whatever? Like I'm still going through all of these things and Mm -hmm. I can't be on all these apps if I'm not confident with what I look like. If I don't believe the other person, like, why are you looking at me? And then I'm looking at the food being like, you're not helping me either. You've never helped me. You've been a piece of shit. 
You know what I mean? Right. And so constantly going through this cycle of it. And I'm just like, I just wish we didn't have to eat to live. <laughs> I know, seriously. Um, and I completely understand what you're saying because it's it's almost like if you don't, uh, people, it's so cliche, but people always say like, you know, if you don't love yourself, then how are you going to love someone else? And then I'm like, well, do I love myself? I very, very much like relate to what you're saying about your body. Obviously, like that's something, I think that many people who turn to food as comfort, I feel like that's something that, it's just kind of a side effects that we all deal with. For me personally, um, I have definitely gained weight since March. Um, I just a little backstory, like around two years ago, I was in an abusive relationship and part of, it was more like psychologically abusive, a lot of gaslighting. And I had lost about, I was at the weight that I'm currently at and I had lost 20 pounds, but it wasn't ever for me. It wasn't because I wanted it. It wasn't because I was ready, like for a healthy change. It was because, you know, my partner that I was with basically messaged to me that like, you couldn't be with somebody who didn't push him in that way. So, you know, I wanted to be with this person. So to me, that meant, okay, I got to go to the gym. So I was going to the gym, like, you know, it was such a struggle, but I was going to the gym like four days a week, hour of cardio every single day. And I felt the most amazing I felt about myself like ever, because that's the first time I'd ever in my life, like lost weight and was able to control myself and had like, and had like the person near me to keep me accountable if I wanted to turn to food. So I did, I did not turn to food. And though like, you know, like I saw so many healthy things forming from it, like a healthier sleep pattern, like my skin was not breaking out as much. I, you know, I was like generally just like more energized than I'd ever been in my life. Something wasn't right. And it was mental. Like I was not in a good place in my relationship. And I'm very much the type of person where if there's something not right around me, it's very, very hard for me to function in anything in my life because I just feel that looming sense of doom. So once I kind of got out of that relationship and realized, you know, this is actually an abusive thing, I, what do you think I did? It was my first time alone in three and a half years. So what did I do? I turned right to food, um, got into a different relationship, which, you know, didn't work out either, which is okay. You know, things happen. But again, like here I am turning to food and now I'm back at the weight that I was before I started that diet. So, you know, I'm back to like kind of being at the heaviest point I've ever been. It's not like crazy, but it's definitely like something I struggle with every single day. Like I struggle not only with my weight now, cause I'm not at the weight I want to be at all my quote unquote skinny clothes don't fit me anymore, but like my acne is bad again. Like it's winter time. So like my psoriasis is flaring up. Like it's just a lot at once. Yeah. And there's so much outside stressors that are yeah. just adding to it, obviously with what's going on with COVID and now like when we're recording this in the beginning of November, cases are starting to crawl back up again and everybody's right. like second wave. And then you have, when we're recording this, it's the day before the election. So yeah. obviously with what's happening with that, which is really fucking stressful. And then even just the holidays and there's so much to be anxious about. And there's so much where you need those coping mechanisms. And even if it's food, it's like, we're just so used to doing that. I was saying to my, my therapist and I were talking and she was saying like, I have this void that I'm feeling in my, in my whole body. And I used to fill it with friendships. Or I used to fill it with food. Yeah. And then I was putting so much emphasis on friendships. Right. And then I was being like, okay, I can't treat a friendship like a relationship, a romantic relationship. And I can't put those needs on that person. And then I was like, all right, well, I'm just going to continue to fill it with food, right? If I can't rely on friends, I'm going to fill it with food. And then I would fill it with food and I'd be like, I feel like shit. And it doesn't do anything for me. And then I feel terrible about myself. Now I just have this fucking giant gap and I'm like, what do I do with it? And 
my therapist was like, uh, you can just sit in it and you can just like process it. And I was like, what do you, how do you process it? What do you do with it? Like, I've never had to do this. Like me processing my anxiety, me like feeling impending doom, panic feelings. My heart starts racing. That's scary. And just everything is so out of whack. So like, where are you at with everything? I guess as far as COVID goes, like I was saying before, I feel like I'm also like at this point where I just don't know what to fill my time with. I mean, one of my other things to kind of recenter myself and find myself is solo traveling. Another thing I couldn't do this summer, obviously, because of COVID. So that was, I want to say that was the first time in about forever that I didn't travel at some point um, throughout the summer. So like, I literally had nothing. And I was like, well, the one thing that I wanted to do this summer was taken away from me. That's for me. So what do I do? And I think that that was like, Summer was just like a really big struggle of just like not being able to fill up my time and either like turning to unhealthy habits or turning to really, really feeling and not being able to control my anxiety like I once was. I know. And then as the school year per- like started, I remember like the feeling in August I felt. I was like, you know, I'm like, I'm ex- I've, I've never really truly felt ready to go back to school because I just enjoy the summer so much. Anybody teachers that tell me, oh, I'm like ready to go back. I just don't know how they do it. <laughs> I never feel like that. I'm always like very ready to just like, you know, never go back um, and enjoy myself. But this year was the first year I really did feel super ready to go back because um, I just like didn't know what to do with my life. And anything I could think of, like my therapist was saying, what do you have for you? What could you do for you? I was thinking back to like, well, I could start, you know, I, I've been thinking about joining a choir because that was something I loved in high school and college. Um, that doesn't exist right now. You know, same thing with like acting and shows that doesn't exist right now. I was thinking about, you know, joining a kickball league or even like a rugby club or something along those lines, things that I used to be into that were based on more social settings and all my interests are all social settings. So none of those things were available to me. And I was like, what on earth am I supposed to do alone? So when school started, obviously like my time was very much filled up with school And now I feel like it's almost the total opposite. Now I feel like I'm feeling the effects of the other side where I don't have enough time for myself. And I feel like my life is completely consumed with school because of, you know, the constraints of COVID on the opposite end of the spectrum. So it's just like been, I'd like to say the last few months for me have been a roller coaster of crazy. It's like some days I'm good. I think I had it all together. And some days like panic attack, crying for two days, like last week was really bad for me. And are you in person now? in school or are you doing zoom stuff mostly um so we're fully remote still until mid-january my school specifically so all zoom all of me sitting behind my computer at home and how is just being on zoom it's like still that isolation type feeling is it feeling okay to be at home or do you like want more interaction with your students like where are you at now i'm like super super mixed about it most days i'm like i really wish i was back in school i miss my kids i miss those interactions i miss having that control kind of because with that control in my classroom really comes like the growth and I don't feel like I get to see that nearly as much as I would in person so like in many many ways and obviously like you know being around my coworkers who are really like my family like they're what keep they're what keeps me going through any struggle because you know teaching isn't easy in general but teaching through the pandemic is proven to be not easy times a million for most teachers um and I couldn't do it without my coworkers. they're like the reason that I go get up every day Um, so like one, like one part of me is like, wow, I really, really miss just like regular old teaching. I miss it a lot. I I do feel like I, I really 
crave that attempt that uh, like social connection that I don't quite feel like I get much of anymore. I'm grateful that I get to see my co-teacher every day, like the teacher that I teach with in my class. Um, and I'm grateful that I get to see, you know, my grade team every day, which is the teachers that also teach first grade with me. But it's really just not the same. Like there's no assemblies. There's no like walking into the office and seeing other coworkers and asking how their days are. And just general venting, like it doesn't feel like there's a lot of that self-care stuff in teaching anymore that we used to have in person. So I'm very mixed on it. Yeah, I'm not a teacher, but I, I've been working from home and I used to work in an office and mm-hmm. uh, it's been really difficult to not see people every day. I'm such a, I think we're both very social people. Right. And so it's like, and the reason why I do what I do is because of relationships that I have with people like my coworkers and my clients. And I feel a little bit lazier, but it's nice to wake up later and it's nice to can like blast music or whatever. But at the same time, I'm just like, oh man, how do I behave? I'm I'm used to it now. I think it took me a very long time. I've been working from home since March. So yeah, I feel like in that way, we're both kind of like, we thrive on social connection and thrive on connecting with other people. Absolutely. I'm, I've always like considered myself the type of person where, um, I don't know if you've ever taken the Myers-Briggs, but I'm an ENFP and they're known as like the most introverted of the extroverted types. So you need to like strike a balance between, um, between like social time and then your recharge time where it's just you. And I used to be able to connect to that so deeply because there were plenty of times where I felt like there was just too much for me and I was on overload. Um, but it's almost like, well, how much, how is too much of what I love bad? You know? So like that was always kind of hard for me. And now I feel like I'm on the opposite end of the spectrum where I have almost no time to fill up my bucket with social interaction. So now it's like too much, just me time, you know? Oh yeah. Where I'm always like, I used to always pre COVID in the before times, whatever we're calling it these days (laughs) after work, like all the time I was going to exercise classes or I was going to dance classes or going to dinner with people. And now I'm like solo bolo (laughs) every day of the week. And you're just like, and then I'm like, no wonder why I'm losing my shit. Like I have to cut myself some slack because this is so new and that we've been doing it for so long. I mean, yeah, we're still in it, but it's definitely more relaxed than it was. I remember when COVID first hit and I was still with my ex and he spent like the first two weeks, I want to say lockdown, like in my apartment with me. So I was going through this, but it never felt alone. I never felt lonely because I had like, you know, as soon as I logged off, he was working remotely too. So like, as soon as I logged off, we had time together and I was like, you know what? Like, I could totally do this. This is almost like he moved in with me and I love it. And like, I don't have to be alone and I don't have to think about my needs. I can just like focus myself on anything but me and, and like really just like focus on my passion, which was being social um, and being in some sort of, you know, relationship. But then it ended and, you know, things kind of dwindled and dwindled until it ended. And, you know, I think that's when I was really like, I'm lonely. I'm super lonely, you know? And I feel like it was less because I was like, missing the relationship and more so just like missing the, the being next to me, you know? Do you think COVID and spending so much time together kind of played a part in sort of the relationship uh, ending? You know, honestly, I'm sure it did. I, I truthfully, I just feel like that relationship, like we were just on two different pages. We were two different people that really expected two different things from each other. And I think COVID and us being around each other more kind of highlighted those things more, you know, where 
beforehand, you know, you had other things in your life where that didn't have to be like at the forefront. Like you had your job, you had interactions with your friends. Like, so there was more to kind of drown out whatever it was. But then when there's like one thing and one thing only, as far as like, you know, interactions goes, and that's all it is, it sort of forces you to like hone in on who you are and who the person you're with is. And does that actually match up? And it is more important. It is more because it's more prevalent, you know, it's more of everything. So I really feel like it probably did. It definitely probably did. However, I mean, I think in any relationship, COVID or not right now, it like, you know, that would have come to fruition either way. Yeah. I mean, I've been hearing a lot about like, you know, people are just like sick of being cooped up with this another person. And there's been a lot of you know, relationship shifting. And, but I think there's, and I don't know if you experienced this too, but I've had a lot of friendship shifts. Either you, you, you grow so much in a mm-hmm. friendship with someone because you just connect to them more and all this, or mm-hmm. you just don't hear from them. Is it the pandemic? Is it me? Or what do I need to do to keep this person? Do I need to keep this person in my life? Like, have you experienced any kind of thing like that in all this? You know, um, not really like negatively. To be honest, I mean, I, I know you remember like when all of our friends sort of met up on Zoom, when that whole thing was going on first, you know, when the pandemic first hit, I felt like I was seeing a lot more of my friends than I ever really did. Like, you know, when, when our group of friends from school met up and I truly like, I felt like, oh, you know what? Like I might not be seeing all these people in person, but I still feel like my social bucket's being filled, you know? And then as that started to sort of dwindle and as, as you said, life became more just normal and this became the normal, not like the novelty. I felt, I felt like a sense of, not abandonment from some friends, but just like a sense of people stopped trying that hard. You know what I mean? Yeah. And also too, with the stuff, with the Zooms that we were doing with our college friends, like, and I know some of y'all listen to this, but it was, it got to a point for me where I was like, this is too much. I think it felt like a weird in between, like it felt very daunting at times, but like you're with your friends so like it was great but like it was weirdly daunting in a way that I could not put my finger on yeah or I'd just be like I don't really want to do this like I think this is a lot I think and also a lot of that stuff has most of it at least for me has gone away like a few of us still have like a weekly we watch like Great British Bake Off now we've been watching reality shows like once Uh a week and even that has been it's not consistent because we're all still we're like kind of back to whatever this normal is but that whole time of like those those like lockdown months was such a weird like you said in between I felt social but I also wasn't you know taking the time with myself because I was so preoccupied with still seeing people so I didn't have to think about what was going on in my brain and why I still felt you know and I think that's when a lot of my eating you know we weren't seeing each other every day anymore so it was just like constantly but constantly having to be on especially like on video and I just was getting burned out yeah I mean I guess I could see that I didn't have like too many of like you know like too many like groups of friends from which every which direction kind of like saying hey do this there were a few groups um but I definitely did like it just felt weird and new and not natural for me so I think like it was less me being burnt out and more being me being like what the hell is this you know what I mean like this is just not right like it's just weird it like in some ways it fills up my you know social bucket but in other ways I was like this in no way fills up my social bucket because this isn't natural like this is completely unnatural for a human 
It was just, I still like, it's hard for me to like even think about that time. First off, it feels like a big blur a long time ago, like in some other galaxy almost, um, because it just never felt normal. And it still really doesn't feel normal. But like you said, I feel like it really like has dwindled down now that, you know, this is becoming normal and, you know, people aren't like, the novelty is worn off. And I think we see that all around, like not only with, you know, our groups of friends, um, in general, like people's groups of friends, our group of friends, whatever, but also just like in general society, like people are stopped not wearing masks as much as they used to. People are like becoming way more lax. I remember going to the bank in March and like being so scared of like even going to the drive up window at the bank. And now I'm like, yeah, whatever. You know, I've like, sometimes I forget to sanitize my hands, you know? Yeah. We were just obsessed with like, uh, hand sanitizer and toilet paper and that whole uh, you can't find Clorox wipes in the store. That's and... still a thing, by the way. I just started seeing not Clorox wipes, but I just started seeing like off-brand knockoff disinfecting wipes, like in stores. But before that, my dad happened to find some Clorox wipes. He was in Florida, and he asked me. He's like, "Rich, do you want me to send you some?" And I said, "Yes." <laughs> I have thank thankfully, thanks, Dad, if you're listening. Um, I have two huge things of Clorox wipes that they might be worth like a thousand dollars, but they're mine. I'm like, I'm very happy about that. You hit the jackpot. My mom like camps out in front of the CVS when the truck shows up. Oh my so she, she's very serious. And now I've been talking to people about like, should we, should people just start bulk buying again and then stocking up? Are we at that place? We're already, I already feel like the, uh, that our society is crumbling anyway depending on what happens with uh with this election i'm trying to be not positive and not hopeful but i'm trying to be realistic i guess i'll be let down either way i guess i'll be let down because like my brain is like trump's gonna win right oh for sure same absolutely and it sucks and it sucks to to feel that sense of defeat even when there's been so much voter turnout in the early stages and all that but like i just don't feel good and I just don't, I remember I was telling someone earlier that I, when I went to work the day after the 2016 election, everybody was just, we were all defeated. Like we just, the, nobody was moving. Everybody was just like in a daze and yeah. we knew it was going to be shit. And we could have never predicted four years later that at this point, like 230,000 people now have died. I don't know how to process it and I don't know how to take it. And I know I have to live. And not just like be with my head down. I don't know how to move forward. It's just hard. It's like, how can you be positive about anything anymore? Like in, in this country or just like in general, when like intrude our country, our lives, our livelihood, everything's gone to shit. Like, how are you supposed to be positive or look towards the future? Because like you said, I think most people now, you know, day before the election, I really hope that when this comes out, I kind of think back to what I'm saying in this very moment. And I'm like, oh, I was wrong. But, you know, like... I really do feel the same way you do. It's like, how can you be positive when everything you're facing seems shit? Like when it seems like Trump's going to win, when it seems like, you know, when, when you see firsthand, when you watch the news and you literally see with your own two eyes that, you know, the inequities that everyone's talking about in society are real. Like, and you realize how is it so hard for people to see? Like, I'm not, I'm, I'm not a genius by any means. And I see it like, how is it so hard for people to see like there's inequities going on? How has it always been so hard for people to see those things? Like why have people chosen to either not see those things or ignore those things? Like those are the big, huge thoughts that I feel like have come from the last few months. 
And I'm so, so happy that like I'm feeling this way now because I feel, you know, I'm very privileged, honestly, that I am able to think just about these things in the last few months in more of a petition than anybody, than other people. Um, but the fact that A, it's taken us so long, like that's one thing I'm very negative about and B, and, and we're not even close to being where we need to be. And B, like just the fact that like people, like, you know, my people, Jewish people, my family, like people can't see that, still can't see that. And I relate it very much back to the fact that like, you know, as a Jew, like 75 years ago, like my people were killed by the millions. Like the fact that like people can't understand that like there's inequities that could potentially like if power's in the wrong hands, like who knows what could happen? Like how could you be positive right now? It's very hard. Yeah. And even just, I've been sort of feeling negative for a while too, just because of the after uh, the height of the protests, the Black Lives Matter protests in yeah. May um, and George Floyd and Breonna Taylor's deaths. And we were in a place where everybody was talking about the movement and talking about, like you said, inequities that yeah. are going on in this country. And I don't think it's gone away. I think there are there have been more people that have been stepping up and been saying things and it's died down so much. I'm so worried about how, like, it's been like shit and it's, I'm like, how can it get better? Absolutely. I completely agree with that. And as it was going on, you know, me, like the activists that I've always kind of been, um, somebody who really like empathizes, I, I feel feelings through empathy. Um, so somebody that's been like that my whole life, like I was right on the forefront of being like, what is wrong with society? How did it take me this long to see it? I feel really crappy and privileged because of that, but I want to change it. I'm still like that. I'm definitely still like that. And I see a lot of people are still like that, but they're like that with their words. And to me, talk is cheap. You know what I'm saying? Like I actively, like, I feel this, like the thing that I got out of all of this is as a teacher, I mean, as a person, we can all do positive things to make a difference. And that's so small. Um, it can be a very small thing, but as a teacher, I feel like I have now, I think all the time, like, how can I make my lessons more equitable? How can I make all of my kids feel like they are represented in their own classroom as a six-year-old, you know? And I really do think it starts with kids. It really does. Cause you know, there's, we're all molded. We all were raised the way we were raised. We all, you know, we're, we're oh, people, once you reach a certain age, like people just are set, you know, but getting to the kids is really where I feel like change will take effect. And as a teacher, I, I feel really empowered. I feel like I have a lot of power in that. And I feel like for me, like my immediate reaction to everything that's been happening in the last few months with you know, the, you know, with Black Lives Matter and, you know, bringing to the forefront all of these inequities, that's like the one thing that I've been like, how can, what power do I have right now? And that really is, you know, to mold my lessons in ways that I think will benefit my kids. It's not with, not like what's easiest for me, not like, you know, what my administration tells me to teach. It's like, what will be the best for my kids? How can I make sure, specifically because I am white teaching nothing but black and brown students, how can I make sure as a white woman that I am best gearing my lessons towards making them feel more just people that, that matter and that are represented? And I feel like for me, like that's been really great. But in the same respect, you're right. Like it's very much died down. And I really hope that, you know, tomorrow when the election results come out or whenever that happens, I really do hope that people are really using their thoughts in all of this in the last few months 
to make positive change. I, I really, I'm not super hopeful that Biden will win. Of course, I want that to happen, but that's not going to be it anyway. You know, it's like we gotta, we gotta move some direction that goes beyond. It goes beyond, you know, government. It just goes to what's right is right and what's wrong is wrong. Is one of my coworkers always says. Like people need to start thinking more of like not what's best for you, but what's right and what's wrong. I'm just thinking about like I'm like I have privilege too, so I yeah. am like, what can I do? with this podcast or with anything that I do in my life to amplify it, to, to have conversations. I think that's a huge step, just talking to people and hearing people's stories and writing that story, you know? Yeah. And just like having, like just having more conversations about it and not beating around the bush about it. Absolutely. I feel like that is one good thing that has come from, you know, the you know, George Floyd's death and Breonna Taylor's death and many, many other deaths before that. I feel like finally, like people are being more open and honest about their feelings rather than beating around the bush. Um, I know for me, like I was raised to not see color, but like not until recently, like again, having the white privilege I have, not until recently did I realize the problem with that. And I think like the generations before us, you know, like no that was the right thing to do is just to like, everybody's the same, but like, that's what's got us where we are, where, you know, like 45% of our prison systems are black men and privatized, uh, privatized jailing and things along those lines. Just like the general inequities that we continue to see year after year, decade, century after century, all of that. It's sort of because, you know, we were told to not see color. We were told that everyone's equal or the same. And that's not true. And I feel like, you know, generally with the Blue Lives Matters movement, that's sort of something that people just don't see. It's like, you know, Black lives straight up in this country, like no matter what anyone wants to say, like Black lives, unfortunately, like statistically speaking, just don't mean as much as white lives. You know what I mean? And that's, that's really like, we have work to do. Like, it's not just about saying, you know, like I don't see color, like everyone's the same, like we've got work to do. You know what I mean? We've got work to eradicate it. So we can one day say we don't see color or we can one day say, you know, I see lots of colors and they're all important and it's all worth our time. You know, even in college, like I remember reading something about how, you know, in most colleges, like African studies is an elective. Why? That shouldn't be an elective. Like if you take, if you take a history course, like I was a history major, like American Civ 1, American Civ 2, World Civ 1, European Civ 1, all those things are like, you have a choice of taking those classes, but you have to take those classes as a major. Why is Arabic studies and like Latin American studies and Africana uh, studies, like why are those things just selected and not like you have to take them? Like it's as simple as like something like that. Like we've got a ton of work to do. Yeah, we're word we've just started so it's just about keeping the conversation going and, and like you said talk is cheap so what are you going to yeah. do with that how are you going to make an impact how is there going to be something that we can move forward with I want to be a sponge for information that I don't know that's kind of how I've always been like I want to talk to people who aren't like me that's another like I've always been like that but especially in this day and age I want to talk about I want to talk to people who aren't like me who were raised like me who don't look like me who have different customs and traditions and beliefs that I do, because that's where I feel like we are lacking. We are so separated as a society where we're only worried about the people and the things inside of our little bubble. And I feel like that's what in many ways have created these inequities and at least kept them withstanding for so long. It's like out of sight, out of mind. I don't care because it doesn't have anything to do with me. And I really feel like, you know, where's like the compassion needs to be more upfront, not only the compassion, but like 
the empathy, like really feeling for others and just getting to know others that aren't like you. I feel like once you do that, people can stop being so scared of the other quote unquote, and we can all start just being unified. People don't like change or yeah. there's a lot of resistance to change or they're afraid of it or just this lack of also too, like you said earlier, like people are stuck in their ways too, especially when we talk about this election, right? Like I've been telling people, I don't, I don't watch the debates. Same. I don't watch them either. Oh really? Yeah. Cause I, I'm like, what, what's the point? Honestly, when he who shall not be named speaks, I get so anxious and I get just like angry. And so I don't want to hear him talk. I already know what I'm looking for. I already know what I want. And it's, it's such a spectacle. It's so polarizing. It's like it's a good versus evil situation. It's very funny that you say that because that's basically the exact same reason that I don't watch the debates. And I always did. Don't get me wrong. Like, I've always watched debates until this election because I truthfully, just as you said, I always say that this election is like a circus. And it's like, I already know who I'm voting for. Watching Biden speak and then Trump speak and then going back and forth it has created so much anxiety about the election in me that it just does me specifically better if I don't. There's no way that any of the circus-filled, um, what's it called, uh, debates would change my thoughts on who I'm voting for. I know who I'm voting for, so I watch it and produce that feeling within myself when I could care for myself and just say, you know what, I'm just not going to sit this out. Yeah, I just, I also, I just don't feel like I consume anymore a lot of media about yeah. poli- not about politics yeah, essentially yeah. but about anything the president's doing right now i i don't like he's not going to get in trouble for anything he's done well i know we i we all know why he's got money he's rich he's white he is of the older generation that's just kind of how it goes he's got a lot of privilege too um and i think that it's no secret in this country we're a capitalist society which has its flaws by the way i know everybody likes to act like capitalist countries like america can do no wrong um, there's a reason we're in like trillions of dollars of debt. Um, I think one of the bad things about being in a capitalist society is that it's no matter what anyone says for the people, by the people, no matter what a capitalist society is for rich people, it will always benefit rich people. And we see that year after year, decade after decade, decade, and definitely century after century. So, I mean, no matter which way anybody wants to slice it, our society is built for rich people, and it's very much telling that the one, the rich one percent, you know, controls our entire society. They have all of the wealth, and the people that work hard, like you and I, every day, like we struggle, and it's not uncommon. And the gap between those who struggle and who don't struggle is widening like never before. Is there anything right now that is bringing you joy and positivity? And is there something that you are looking forward to? you know, in 2021, hopefully this is all over, but who knows? Yeah, right. Hopefully. Um, the things that bring me joy these days are really just like those moments where I fully and like really just fully immerse myself in things that are good for me. And that is like the time I get to spend with my friends and family. You know, I found a newfound kind of love for gardening and just indoor plant keeping and not killing them. So that's definitely something that's been bringing me joy. Um, I really feel like seeing those aha moments still with my kids, even though they're fewer and far between, those things definitely bring me a lot of joy. Uh, I don't know, like those little moments, you know, when you go to the supermarket and somebody still talks to you and doesn't just like look down at the ground when they pass you, like those are the moments that I feel like, those little moments that we all took for granted, those are the moments that I'm kind of like living for now. 
yeah, we take those moments now and really let them sink in. And that is a really, I think, positive thing about all this is like, I'm remembering my days more than I'm enjoying them. And it's less of like days passing me by. Mm-hmm. You know, it's I'm like taking like, oh, I learned a lot about myself today or just finding those finding the positive moments in the solo reflection and in the solo time. Yeah, absolutely. I think I've kind of gained a lot of uh, what's the word I'm looking for? I've gained a lot of just like clarity in those moments that I am comfortable being by myself. And of course, like it's definitely still a struggle. But like those moments where I am able to keep busy and like not kind of get deep into the stress like in my head those are like wins for me so trying to like kind of really be reflective on those things like what works what didn't work what can I do next time I think that's really all we got and I think that you know speaking about how can you be positive about the future I really feel like now is the time we're going to start seeing change like I was saying before you know these these kids that we're molding to be better people than we were raised. I really feel like hopefully in the next 20 years, like we'll start seeing even more change. And I'm just super excited to see like what, not the immediate future. I feel like it's still hard for us to really grasp like the positive in the immediate future, but I'm very ready to see like how much better we as a society will be in coming years, decades, you know? Yeah. I mean, there is a lot of negativity, but there have been the fact that there has been conversations and the fact that there has been more people sort of waking up to what's going on in the world and what's going on in this country is hopeful. There is hope to it. And there's, you know, there's a chance of some sort of positivity somewhere. So yeah, uplifting (laughs) and on an uplifting note. Yeah. Right. (laughs) I really do appreciate you talking to me. We covered a lot of things. So I'm really, I'm really excited to share this conversation. Um, I think people will, hopefully enjoy what we're talking about. We definitely hit on a lot of very like prevalent things that I think like a lot of society can relate to. And I just want to say for listeners, you know, I tried my best to like just say how I feel. I again realize that I'm a person of privilege and I don't know everything and I never will. So like, I apologize if I've offended anyone, but that was not my intention. Um, I just, you know, trying to speak on behalf of myself and where, you know, mentally I'm at and I kind of take the country and I just hope that it's received well. Yeah, I mean, this is a conversation between two white women, so there's yeah. there's a lot of privilege in this. And the fact that we're having this conversation, the fact that I have this platform is a privilege. I think we both recognize it, and I think we're just doing the best that we can in it. Right. All right. Well, thank you, Miss Brittany. It was great talking to you. Thank you for thank coming you, on. Sarah Always a pleasure. Thank you so much to Brittany for coming on the podcast. Over the past few months, I've learned that we have way more in common than I thought. I'm so glad you all can witness the connection we have, and that we can end the season on a high note. This year has been insanely difficult for so many reasons, but I'm fortunate and thankful to have this platform to talk to others, and to share in the anxiety and the pain. Thank you to everyone I've interviewed for this season. Thank you to Angelique Ibera for editing and mixing every episode. To Matt Laurie for basically producing and giving emotional support. To Garrett Rose for his amazing music. You can find his work at garrettrose.com. And thanks to you all for listening. There's so many podcasts out there, and it means so much that you found this one and have chosen to give it a shot. I'm beyond grateful for the messages I've received over the years and for the stories you've shared with me. I can't wait to talk to more people and share more stories for the next batch of episodes. If you'd like to be informed when we release new episodes, subscribe to this podcast wherever you get podcasts. If you want to listen to past episodes, you can stream every single one 
at anxiousafshow.com. Follow us on Instagram and Facebook at anxiousafshow. Email us at anxiousafshow at gmail.com if you have feedback or if you want to be a guest on an upcoming episode. We're also looking for composers, primarily women of color, to compose music for future episodes. If you're interested or know someone who might be, send us an email and let us know. And I'm your host, who's anxious as fuck, Sarah Curlin. Thank you all again for listening, and we'll see you soon.